The text that I'm going to be opening up to you today hasn't been read. That one we're going to follow through because there are examples in there of what I want to say. But the text is in fact in Romans chapter 12 verse 10. And it says quite simply, and I don't want you to turn to, you, to it, I want you to memorize it. It's a short text, it's easy to remember. And I will be repeating it again and again so that you will be able to get it in your mind and in your heart. The Old Testament and King David said, write thy word upon our hearts. And this is what we want to do this morning. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. It's from Romans 12.10 if you want to make a note though for future reference. And there are two points in this text. And rather than opening up the Bibles and going to the book and being distracted, I would like you to just think about the text as we, as we go through it in some detail. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul has been discussing the spiritual gifts that are active in a church. And he comes to verse 9 where he begins to discuss not the gifts, but the working relationships that should exist in a fellowship. And he starts in verse 9 with love. And there's no better place for anyone who is dealing with the Lord Jesus to start than the idea of love. And when talking of the church, that is the beginning. That is the starting point. But you'll notice that he insists that this love within the fellowship, within the gathered community of the people of God, is in fact a sincere love. It's a love which is genuine. It's not something which is fake. It's not something which is put on. It's real love. It comes from the heart, and it's that which moves people to do things and to be things. Any put-on counterfeit love in a fellowship like ours would be out of place. We would despise it. It would be tacky. Love must be sincere, he says. And then he uses the well-known word in verse 9, agape, which you probably all know. But in our text, in verse 10, the word changes, and he uses the word Philadelphia. This is the brotherly love, which is such a precious love, sh shared by those who come from the same womb. This is the love that he puts before us within the fellowship. And what he does is he tweaks the word just a little bit by adding the, the word at the beginning, the idea of uh, a further element to this love, that we are to be devoted to one another in this brotherly love. And I'm sure that you have no problem with that idea of devoted love amongst the people of God. It's a warm, affectionate love that we have for one another as God's people. We've all been born of the same Father. We've been given the same life by the same Holy Spirit. And we all share in the graces and gifts that he has imparted to his children. We all have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And in some, you'll find that this love is strong and well-exercised and obvious. They seem to have larger hearts, able to love on a grand scale, seem to absorb many people, always room for one more. You probably are aware that in Africa, one of the biggest and most thriving industries is the, the taxi industry, based on the old 16-seater Toyota minibus. My old daughter, my oldest daughter, 
once reported that one of these taxis had broken down on the freeway into Durban, and as the traffic started to filter the way around, 32 occupants got out of the 16-seater and started to scuttle across the traffic to safety. And we had a saying then that somebody has a heart like an African taxi. Always room for one more. There are folk in the fellowship that you know are like that. Others in the, in the, in the, new in the faith maybe, their love is still a bit brittle and a bit scratchy, a bit awkward at times. And it needs the incubator of God's fellowship, this community of God's people, in order to grow. You are probably aware that our youngest daughter, Jean, was out here from New Zealand with the two girls a little while ago. I was interested to see how she was, and our older daughter, who is in Kelowna, got on. They hadn't seen each other for more than 10 years. And they, they couldn't be more different. They just couldn't be. They, they literally faced different directions. And yet they seemed to simply pick up. When we got together, they seemed to pick up where they left off. Their kids who had never met each other somehow slotted in and vanished together. And had to be separated later when we had to go. It was as if they belonged together. And that's the issue with the fellowship. This is the thing about Philadelphia. It's not a narrow, selective, walled-in kind of love. It's an embracing love. It has an expansive openness that easily accepts others. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ belongs to me. An eternal relationship which was forged on the cross. And we belong to one another. We are God's family. Some new Christians, and I, I guess there's some of us older ones as well, we come into a fellowship with a lot of attitude, we need to get some rough, spiky edges rubbed down and taken off. Smoothed down, we need to get to grips with all the graces of the fellowship, of love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering, etc. But we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am to be, to devote, I am to be devoted to you in brotherly love. The church is to be characterized by this love, which is warmly, devotedly expressed from the heart. And this is not a distinctive New Testament message, and that's why we, we read earlier that passage from Leviticus. For the old people, the Old Testament people of God were to have the same attitude towards their brothers and sisters. And in fact, all the way down through history, you'll find that the people of God are expected to love one another in this way. And although the, 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 the idea, the attitude is not defined in the Old Testament per se, it is described and it's exemplified. And that is why we take up the passage in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 9 and 18. On Wednesday nights we are studying Romans and it has been, become obvious that the Old Testament people of God 
are in a number of ways a type of the New Testament community. We find a lot of teaching there that is relevant to us, especially with the light of the New Testament following on. So let's look at these. You didn't count them, but there were 10 examples, just briefly. 10 examples of brotherly love in action, as they are spelt out in the Law of Moses. Funny, you probably didn't expect to find the concept of brotherly love spelt out in Mosaic Law. But before we do that, there are two things which color all the illustrations that we will have a look at. First one is at the end of verse 18. You have the New Testament concept expressed very clearly. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is a refrain that we hear from Jesus himself over and over. It's the second half of the greatest commandment. Shall love the Lord thy God, and likewise thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And secondly, and this may be the thing that we need to, to have imprinted on our minds this morning, that five times in this little passage, five times he repeats the phrase, I am the Lord. Why does he do that? Does he think we're sleeping or something? I think he wants to draw our attention to this in a rather unique way this morning. He wants to let us know that this is not just the preacher's choice of text. This is in fact God himself speaking about his ideas and his concept of how the church, the people of God should work. It's as though God comes to us and he, he actually eyeballs us this morning. He gazes into our eyes and he says to us, I am the Lord. And what you hear here, what we read here, the little text that we, we follow, these are my words. And this is how it is to be with my people. He looks into the hearts and he confronts us with the law of his love, the how. So when we talk of brotherly love, we are not discussing a warm, subjective, fuzzy feeling. where We simply get our hugs on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. And don't get me wrong. The hugs I get are vital. And encouraging, they warm my heart. And when I'm not feeling 100%, it immediately ups the, the octane level. But that is not primarily what God is dealing with here. Punctuated by this phrase, I am the Lord. He gives us these examples of what he means. They define how a Christian loves. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord. First one here then is a reminder that in amongst the fellowship of God, there are people who are in need. There are the poor, the sick, the widows, the orphans. And as it says, the aliens, the immigrants. And I can tell you from our own experience, though through my illness, of the most remarkable brotherly love from folk in the congregation, people with really big hearts. They were there to help us with transport when I couldn't drive. 
folk who dropped off food and a gift arriving in the post didn't even have our surname on the letter, didn't even know our surname. A little envelope passed to me in the evening, and I was told not to open it until I got home. And I found this huge check. There are folk in this congregation <clears throat> who take very seriously this aspect of brotherly love. But our gracious God has given most of us much of this world's goods. And when the statement arrives from the bank or online at the end of the month, and we see there is a bit of a surplus there, is our first automatic thought, can I use any of this for someone in need? Do you know where the needs are actually in the congregation? Ah, you say, well, the, the deacons know. The pastor, the elders know. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But this example is for all of us. It doesn't have to be food or money. It may be that phone call or a visit that would do the trick to just be the the example of brotherly love that somebody in need at that time requires. Just a, a small thing on the phone. Been thinking about you. Wondered how you're doing. Genuine. Warm brotherly contact. Next point, verse 11. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Speaks here about integrity in business transactions. No shady deals amongst the brethren. I'm pleased to say that the pyramid schemes that used to proliferate in earlier days don't seem to be around so much anymore. We, people used to go around with uh, selling stuff, cleaning goods and makeup and all these sort of things. I trust there's none of them in the congregation. These things create hurt. They take advantage of brotherly affection to sell things at exorbitant prices. And with us, there's no shady deals. There's no hidden agendas. There's no money-making record. It's just open honesty. You don't expect a Christian tradesman to work for you for half price. You don't expect concessions from him. It's great if you can get a Christian to do some work for you. Marvelous to be able to take your lunch together and eat your sandwiches together and share the things of God if there is a Christian. But we don't steal from them. We don't take advantage of them so that they work to their hurt. And so also with our, with our Christian doctor or our accountant, we don't expect them to charge for a consultation which is not necessary. And we expect them to tell us the facts about our situation, about our health, honestly and kindly. I had a sad experience some years ago where I was contracted to help a, to build a, a new meeting hall for a, for a Baptist church. I shudder to have to say that. We had detailed specifications. We had drawings which were beautifully carried out and complete. 
But the whole contract was marred by the expectations for additional work that were imposed. Work while you were still on site. Couldn't you slip this little thing in? Brotherly love has to do with integrity in the way you do business. The third one, verse 12. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Brotherly love shows itself in never misrepresenting God's name. Never taking the Lord's name in vain. In these days when, when Moses wrote this, there were no written contracts. Couldn't go down to the corner store, the Xerox or the, the Canon and get photostat copies of a contract. Agreement on long-term deals was done with others as witnesses and it was done with an oath or with a vow. And that's what he's referring to here primarily. People would say, as God is my witness or as the Lord lives. Or as one other place is where it says, the Lord do to me so and more if I, don't fa if I fail to keep this covenant with you. They invoked the name of the Lord. And it was unthinkable that anyone, anybody would swear an oath like that and then breach the agreement. We know that the Lord won't hold them guiltless who take his name in vain. We know that. And they knew that. And they had seen it. And shortly, I mean, Moses was the one who led them through the, the sea and through the wilderness and all those things. They saw the acts of God. They saw the earth open up and Men who disgraced God and took his name in vain vanished as they were swallowed up. And a marriage vow broken or taken lightly. A vow taken, as we say in the, in the standard form, before God and before this congregation. That's what we're talking about. That is profaning the name of your God when we decide that for whatever reason, that a tenant of that vow can be just taken lightly or overlooked or avoided or prevented when a wife decides that it is inconvenient to submit to her husband's authority in the home. Or a husband, who by the way has by far the most onerous task of the two, has to love his wife as Christ loved the church. If he decides that there is something that he would rather be doing on... <clears throat> Than, than sitting at his wife's bedside or helping when she's ill and he's got tickets for a game. That is profaning the name of the Lord. And brotherly love maintains the integrity of God's name. There are a few other oaths and vows that we see around these days still. Ordination vows. When my kids became citizens here, citizenship vows. Or if you're in the medical profession, the Hippocratic Oath. But there is something a lot more subtle, something a lot more sneaky. The way that some Christians manipulate their way amongst the fellowship. People who love them and who care for them and who have their arms around them in so many ways. 
And what they do is that they use the Lord's name as an authority for doing something which is basically sub-Christian. They appear very religious. They use the Bible. They have texts to quote. And they say things like this. The Lord spoke to me in my devotions this morning. Or God gave me this text. It's God's will, you see. And their agenda is pressed forward by the use of the name of God in this way. They use scripture. They have this humble attitude to undergird their agenda and just justify some rigid sub-Christian attitude that they are holding to against the vows that they took. This is profaning the name of the Lord. It's not devoted brotherly love. It is self-seeking and it covers sin. The Spirit of God is moving me, they say. The Spirit of God is teaching me. I want my own way. I don't want to buckle to the mundane discipline of brotherly love. The fourth one, verse 13. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Don't we all know that money matters can be explosive in a family or in a church? Didn't ever think it would happen in my family, but it was quite interesting how, how scratchy some of the folk got when I had to be the executor of my father's will. Money can blow apart a fellowship as well. We were in a situation where the treasurer was a man of vast business and financial experience. He had his all the financial degrees and management degrees. But if he didn't buy into a church expenditure or a gift that the, the deacons wanted to, to pass on to some needy person in the congregation, and there was, and I quote, there was no money. Don't withhold a workman's wages at day's end. Brotherly love pays what it owes on time. It doesn't pay at the end of the month. It doesn't quote the, the old horse chestnut which says that uh, the check is in the post. It doesn't even hold earned money overnight. When a bill comes in, it is paid promptly. You don't know the man's condition. He may be battling as well. He may need to get some food on the table for his kids for supper. We pay promptly. This is the reason that our fellowship is seriously considering its commitments to missionaries. We don't want to be in a position of reneging on a commitment because things are tight here at the moment. And there is a reassessment. Those of you who were at the meeting will know this. A reassessment in hand so that money given to missionaries or for genuine needs and in line with what we stand for as a fellowship, then our support, once committed, will be consistent and on time. We will pay promptly. That is how brotherly love works. People can rely on that. 
good friend of ours whom we haven't seen for many years now he was often away from his family and and his church and christian conferences as a speaker and he told me how often he got back from a university christian union where he was the keynote speaker and preachers conference or something where he, he had to find out to his heartache that the promised expenses check didn't arrive We need to be aware of our duties in this way, our commitments with regard to finances, if we are to be in practice with brotherly love. The fifth one is verse 14. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Brotherly love has to do with caring for those with limitations and with disabilities. If you were to see a blind man walking down the street with his white stick going in front of him, tapping, and you were to watch him moving down the, the sidewalk, then you would see some character stick out a foot and trip him. And then he would fall and the guy would run away laughing. I meet with a group on Wednesday mornings. Connie's here to testify to this as well. Abuse is their past. It's, it's been their life, abuse. We meet on Wednesday morning and we, we paint together. And one of these young ladies battling to find a stable platform for her life was recently drugged unbeknown to her and taken advantage of in the most horrible and degrading way. We hate this. Turns our stomach. Makes us angry. That's, those are extreme cases, and I, I pray that we never see them often. But there are those in our midst who have challenges, folk who have learning difficulties, even reduced mental or health capacities due to birth or age or whatever. Do we love them or do we avoid them? We need to fear God. That's what he said after that one. We need to fear God because brotherly love extends its embrace, embrace to the unlovely, to the, to the weak, to the deformed. It's not only the lovely that we are to love, it's the unlovely as well. Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbors fairly. I'm not going to go there again. We've had some of that from James. We're going to get some more. You know the point, though, don't you? Favoritism. Somebody arrives in a smart suit. I would have been here in a smart suit this morning and it didn't fit. <laughs> Somebody comes in and they leave their trolley outside with all their worldly possessions. 
What is your attitude? Do you, how do you think? Does your mind actually separate these two? Or do you love your brothers? Verse 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Brotherly love has a Christian integrity with regard to our speech. What we say. You don't need to have been in the fellowship for any length of time to know that there have been rumors and gossip and attempts to spread dissatisfaction about this one or that. I've heard enough of these to last for a while. I've heard first-hand and second-hand comments about our dear pastor, that he has his own agenda, or that he is over-harsh, in inverted commas, with, when dealing with some unrepented sin. Oh, if only you knew. It's been years since I've come across an almost agonizing humility and holy fear in a young man like John. This is what underlies his strong and inflexible use of God's word. Because he knows that there is no other cure for sin than the word. And he dare not offer in the face of a debilitating sin, anything that will give anybody any encouragement whatsoever to think that they can get away with what they're doing. His heart is so poured out for us that he, as his flock that I could wish for nothing more in a pastor than one who cares for my soul like that. I believe we're at the end of that ungodly and loose talk that there is a new day of brotherly love dawning in our fellowship here where our speech is aimed at that which is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. You know it, Philippians 4.8. It's on the flyleaf of the first Bible I was ever given. Our speech will be encouraging, upbuilding. Its tone will be warm and loving. And outsiders will not only see that we love one another as they look in on the fellowship, but they will also hear it by the things that we say. Our speech may need to be forthright and straightforward as we talk to and not about somebody, some dear brother or sister who might have slipped and fallen, but it will be with, with compassion, with gentleness and with warm brotherly love, devoted brotherly love. Number eight, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. And we know what bitterness and hatred does. It has a root which grows down and taints everything that we do. And not only that, of course, it, it rubs off on the people near us that we love. And we hurt them by our own hate, by our own bitterness. We hurt those around about us. And of course, in God's eyes, to hate one another, to hate somebody is murder. 
It's a weed that poisons every relationship. Again, we will get to more of these details in James chapter 3, where we read, Consider what a great forest can be set on fire with a small spark. And that's it. That's what hate does. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, number nine. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you do not share in his guilt. It is necessary in brotherly love to go directly to a brother and deal with matters that arise between you. Speak frankly. In Luke 17, Jesus tells us if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Then he adds, if he repents, forgive him. That's brotherly love, you see. If a rebuke is called for, the whole purpose is brotherly love. It's to restore that one. It's not to prove how right you are, or even how biblically you dealt with the problem. Well, you can deal with a biblical dealing with a problem exactly according to Scripture, but you use it, you wield it like a Viking's axe, and people get hurt. And he, people get cut off from the fellowship in their own mind because of the way that you deal with them, even biblically, in inverted commas. That's what the Pharisees did. Love them, restore them. And anyway, it's not about you. Not about you. It's about brotherly love. And the last one is verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. It's no, no coincidence that revenge and grudge appear here in the same sentence. Often bearing a grudge is a form of taking revenge. If you have to live with somebody who's carrying a grudge, boy, you never forget it. You make them pay and pay, pay. I may feel that it's the only way to get my own back. And I wouldn't, wouldn't want to lose that opportunity. Something has happened in the past with the wife, the husband, son or daughter. And even though it's been repented of and forgiveness asked and apparently given, but the issue is still there. It's not actually cleared. It nags in the mind and it keeps rearing its ugly head and poisoning the, the relationship. Oh, how grateful we should be that God doesn't hold grudges or seek petty revenge against us who so regularly break trust with him. Oh, blessed be the grace of God. How is it that we know to claim his forgiveness and cleansing for all our unrighteousness when we confess and then withhold it from our brother or our sister? How can we do that? You remember the prayer. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Whoops. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I've fingered these ten little examples of brotherly love from the heart of the Old Testament law. That is how Jesus lived. He lived in complete accordance with those. If there was time, I could go through each of those ten items and show you illustrations of how Jesus was that. 
all the way through his life, perfectly. And you know, there's a funny thing. The Pharisees discovered this, by the way, that we can do all these things legally and correctly, but that is not enough. That's not what's required of us. That's not what brotherly love is at all. That is why Jesus died. The impossible was achieved on our behalf. He loved God, his Father, with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength, with all his soul. We, we, we couldn't do that. Not for one second could we do that. Not for one second could we do that. And then he credited that righteousness. to us. Taking notes of some texts, here's another few. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Love one another fervently from the heart. Philippians 1, 8, 7 and 8. God can testify, says Paul, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's what we were talking about, how Christ loved us and gave himself for us. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding your affection from us. And as a fair exchange, brothers, I, I ask you as my children, open wide your hearts also. This is the whole essence of New Testament love. It is whole, wholehearted no holds barred. And that's why Paul ends the text with that little phrase, honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another as yourselves. You don't have to get on your high horse and say, well, and I've heard this just within the last couple of days, I didn't get the respect or the recognition that I was due in the fellowship. If you're feeling that this morning, I'm sorry for you. If you feel that way, that is sad. But here we find that you don't need to wait to get patted on the back. Turn it around and see if there isn't some brother or sister that you could acknowledge that may not deserve it as much as you do or think you do. You take the initiative. Let them know how much you appreciate them. Coming out every week to a service or to a Bible study or a prayer meeting, thank them for the little things that they do, often unnoticed things in the fellowship, just being there, smiling, or smiling back even. Honor them more than yourself, more than your own itch to be honored. Love them with devoted brotherly love. It doesn't matter that they may be awkward, weird, Strange, difficult people, the weird ones in the fellowship, the weird brigade. I love the phrase that John used at the meeting the other night when he referred to us as a fellowship as a mixed bag of nuts. Ah, that's what we are. But we are to love one another. We honor those brothers and sisters because God has given them to us, specifically. 
doesn't matter what they are or where they come from. Since being in the fellowship, I've met people from all over the place. I'm from all over the place myself. doesn't matter if they're German or South African or whatever. God has put us together so that his glorious work of sanctification will go forward in all of us. doesn't matter where you come from. Here, we are to love one another, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and build up one another in this. I know it's a, it's a progressive grace. With some it takes a little longer than with others. It won't happen all at once. We learn to love by practice. That's what we read. Those are the things which we learn to practice. And as we learn to practice, so we learn to love. It takes time. It takes sometimes quite a long time to thaw a cold heart. A heart that is inexperienced at loving. It takes a while to get that organized. But oh, it will be so worth it to get his well done at the end. Lord, we are your people and you have loved us. Help us, we pray, to love one another.